0: Good morning, Lakeview Church. It's so good to be with you today. We're so glad that you're here and uh, looking forward to starting summer at Lakeview. We've got a brand new message series that we're starting today. We've got some exciting things that are coming up in the life of the church with Vacation Bible School just around the corner, camp this week. And lots of fun and exciting things. Small groups are starting. This is a great opportunity for you just to engage and get plugged into what God is doing at our church. And we're so glad that you're here today. I do want to take a moment, as I do every week, and just look right into that camera and just welcome every single one of you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, Whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we're glad that you've taken time out of your schedule to be with us. And everyone here in the room wants you to know that you're welcome. And congregation, can we just say hi to our online congregation? As I said, we're starting a brand new message series today, and uh, it's a message series that we are calling Ancient Stories for Everyday People, and throughout the months of June and July, every single Sunday, we're going to go back into the Old Testament, we're going to look at an Old Testament story, and we're going to kind of explore the ancient wisdom that is found in that story, and see how it applies to our everyday lives Today, and uh, we're going to start that series this morning by looking at the Old Testament story of Daniel. And so, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there with me to Daniel chapter one uh, because what we're going to do today is really just be in Daniel chapter one as just a Bible study looking at this story from the Old Testament. So, if you got one of those old fashioned physical Bibles, you can open that up. If you got it on your device, just wake your device up. Don't check social media, just be in the Bible with me. Okay, Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to kind of walk through this story together because I think it has a lot to say to us uh, for our lives today. So Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to begin just at the first couple of verses, and then we're going to stop and we're going to talk about those. So uh, this is what it says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now we need to stop here and just just kind of get the setting for what's happening right now because The people of God have been defeated by the armies of Babylon. This this foreign army has come in, they besieged the land, they've conquered God's people, and they've even won the victory so much so that they could go into the temple of God, take some of the sacred objects that were dedicated to worshiping the God of the Bible, the God that we are worshiping here today, they took some of the stuff out of his temple, carried it back to Babylon, and gave it as an offering to a pagan god. This is what's happening to the people of God in Daniel chapter one. What's even more concerning about this occurrence though is that Daniel chapter one says, it is the Lord who gave the armies of Babylon the victory. And it is the Lord who permitted some of the sacred objects that had been dedicated to his worship to be carried off to Babylon and used as an offering of worship for a pagan god. What is happening right here? I mean, it's one thing to recognize that God's people have been conquered by a foreign army, but it's another thing altogether to recognize that this occurrence is actually an act of Israel's God, that God himself has given this victory over his own people, and allowed his temple objects to be used to worship a pagan god. What is going on here? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you know, uh, if you've ever read through it, that God's people are on a roller coaster ride of commitment. And, and it's, it's kind of fascinating, really, because you'd think they'd learn. They're deeply committed and devoted to God for a season, And then they mix it up with the world. They decide that they're going to start having relationships with people who are outside of God's people. And and in order to connect better, they're going to start worshiping their gods. They're still going to worship their God, but they're also going to worship the gods of the pagan cultures around them. And, And then over time, what happens for God's people is that they forget about their God altogether. And they just start worshiping the pagan gods. And before long, they've completely turned their back on God. They're not even close to God anymore. And then God has to send a leader or a circumstance or a situation to say, wake up. You've left me. And God's people will hear the voice of their God once again. They repent, they return to God, and the roller coasters back up high again. And the roller coaster just does this all through the Old Testament. It's kind of tiring to read. You read it and you just think, again, are you serious? And every time I say that, God reminds me, can we talk about your life for a minute? See there's part of Israel's story where we think what is wrong with them but that's the point because when we say what's wrong with them we also have to say what's wrong with us cuz We do the same things a lot of times in our lives, deeply committed and devoted, and then if we're not careful, we'll mix it up with the world, and before long, we're just buying into what the world is selling, and we're forsaking our God and walking away and doing our own thing, and God has to say, wake up, pay attention, you forgot about me, and then we have to listen to God's voice and repent and return and come back and And the roller coaster continues. When we get to Daniel chapter one, God's people have not just mixed it up with the world. They have completely forsaken God at this point in their story. They have become so intoxicated with the ways of the pagan cultures around them that they're not worshiping their God and other gods. They've just forsaken God altogether. And they have they have decided that they're gonna worship false gods with all of their heart. And they've just bought into that. And they've walked away from God. And God in his love and mercy has warned them over and over and over again. He's turned up the volume on the megaphone. Wake up, pay attention, come back to me, repent, return. And the people of God have said, nah, we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing. We like it this way. And so God says, I'm telling you, if you don't turn back to me, I'm going to send a foreign army and they're going to conquer you and they're going to carry you off into exile. And you would think that the people of God would say, okay, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry. We're coming back. But they didn't. They didn't heed the warnings at all. And so God has to send the armies of Babylon. You might read Daniel chapter one, verses one and two, and say, why would God give a foreign army victory over his people? Because they didn't listen to him. They failed to heed his warnings. He called to them out of his love and mercy and said, come back to me, return to me, repent become my people once again. And they ignored his voice. So he carries them into exile. And here's what I want you to see today is that exile is not God switching teams. God doesn't say, yeah, I'm going to play for the bad guys now. That's not what God's doing here. God's not saying, yeah, I like Babylon better. I'm going to go with them. God is saying, I love my people so much that I will do whatever it takes to wake them up out of their slumber. Even if it means giving a foreign army, a pagan army, victory over my people and allowing what has been dedicated to worship me to be carried off and given as an offering to a pagan God. Even if it takes that, I'll do that because my people matter to me that much. You see, exile isn't God switching teams. Exile is God loving his people so much that he will do whatever it takes to get their attention, even if it means sending them into captivity. And that's exactly what God does in Daniel chapter one. And you say, where is the ancient wisdom for everyday life today? Well, the church in North America is in exile. You may not have thought about it that way, but here's the reality. Over the last several decades, the church in North America has gone to sleep. We just decided it would be better for us to mix it up with the world. We want to be relevant after all. And so we've started to compromise on this and that and the other thing until at some point we wake up one day and the North American church looks just like the world. You can't even discern the difference between the two. And so what God has done over these decades is call to his people and say, return to me, come back to me, seek my face, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. I'll, he- I'll forgive your sin. I'll heal your land. I'll do that for you. But the church in North America has said, nah, we like the world too much. And we just keep mixing it up with them until at some point we have churches today who have forsaken the authority of God's word. Do you know why? Because it's just not popular to believe that the word of God should direct your life. That doesn't fit with the prevailing view of our culture. So we have churches all across North America who are literally laying down the authority of God's word and they're rewriting scripture to make it say different things than it's ever said before so it will, it will share with the world what their itching ears want to hear. And God keeps saying, wake up, return, come back to me. And the church has said for decades now, nah, we like the world too much. And so over the last couple of years, as we've watched secularization just increase and grow like never before, godlessness and immorality just exploding, it seems like, all across our culture in North America we've wondered, what is happening? What is going on in our world? Welcome to exile. We didn't listen to what God was saying over these years, and so God has to give the world over to its way of living. And as the church, those of us in the church who still believe the Bible is the word of God, which that's fewer of us than ever before in North America, but if, if we believe the Bible is true and we believe God's way of viewing the world is the, the the correct way of viewing the world since he created it and owns it all, if you believe that you are in the minority in North America. You do not hold a popular view in North America if that's what you believe. I hope you believe that. But we're in exile. We've been been placed in a season in our culture right now today where the church is no longer at the center of everything. We've been pushed to the margins. We've been ostracized. Our, our, Our perspectives don't hold weight in our culture right now. And you can say, man, this is a really discouraging way to start the summer at Lakeview. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not discouraged one bit. Because the God who was God of Israel when they weren't in exile is still the God of Israel when they are in exile. Nothing has changed about God. And God is the one who uses exile to do one thing and one thing only. To call his people back to himself. That's all God's doing right now. And I know that it's easy for us in North America to go and and cry and whine and complain that we're not at the center of everything. And if that's what you're doing, I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. God's purpose and plan for his people is not for us always to be at the center. It's always for us to be open to the work that God wants to do in our lives. And right now, in the church, in North America, our call is not to try to get back to the center of culture. That's not what God's asking of us. God is saying, wake up. Wake up. Repent. Return. Come back to me. That's what God is saying. He's not saying get back to the center of culture. God's saying, seek me. Pursue me. Run hard after me. Because the only thing that matters in any season, is that we are seeking God. And God will do whatever it takes to get us to seek him. And we are in exile right now. We are in a season where our views are not the views of the world. And the prevailing culture right now is winning. The current has changed. And we are swimming upstream. And in this season... Instead of crying and whining and complaining, I'm just, I'm begging you, just seek God. Just seek God. Just run after him. Lean into him more and more. Let him search your own heart. We were just singing about it. I hope you were making it your prayer. It's right out of the Psalms. Who can ascend the hell of the Lord? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. You need to ask God, clean my hand. And give me a pure heart, God. Let me run after you. We're in a season of exile, and we have to lean in to God during this time and seek him so that we don't miss what he is trying to do in our lives. God's work, God's work sometimes can only be accomplished when his people are at the margins And we have to trust God that he knows what he's doing in every situation and in every circumstance. And wherever we find ourselves, just seek him. Can we do that, church? There's three of you. Let's go on. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong and healthy men and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're all well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. And I want to stop there, and I want to talk about what's happening here. We know that Babylon's defeated Judah. They've carried off things from the temple. They've given that to their pagan god as an offering of worship. But now, now the more sinister plot unfolds in Daniel chapter 1. The king says, find 10 good-looking men. I happen to believe Jared and Christian and I would all be among those that were chosen. Good-looking young men. Good-looking young men. These men were chosen, brought to the palace of the king, and and there were some criteria. Not just that they were good looking, but they had to have good judgment. They had to be wise. They had to be smart. They had to be able to learn and to to take in knowledge and information. And and, and so the king brings them to the palace, and he's going to now invest in them. He's going to give them food and drink from his own kitchen. He's going to make sure that they're enrolled in an educational opportunity so that they can read the literature of Babylon and begin to understand how Babylon thinks and how their culture functions. And, and they're even going to change their name and give them Babylonian names because they want them to become influential in the nation of Babylon. Babylon. In other words, they're gonna plunder the people of God and bring those people into their pagan culture and have the very best of God's people serving the pagan culture for their own purposes. Now, it's important for you to understand what Babylon represents. If you go back to the original Hebrew and you read this passage in the original Hebrew, you won't find the word that we translate Babylon. You're gonna find another phrase. It's called the land of Shinar. Those who translated it later decided to give it a term that more people would be familiar with, so they chose the term Babylon, which is accurate geographically. They're referring to the same place. But the land of Shinar is the place where the Tower of Babel was. If you go back and read Genesis 11, we're not going to take time to talk about it now, but if you want to read the story, you can go back and read Genesis 11, where the people in that day rebelled against God at the Tower of Babel. They thought they were better than God. And so they built their own civilization and the monument of that civilization was the Tower of Babel and they rebelled against God and went their own way. And over the centuries, Babylon, that land of Shinar became known as a place that was opposed to God. It was a place, one commentator said, where wickedness was at home and where any kind of righteousness would be opposed. That's what Babylon represented. And the king is finding the people of God, the best among them, to say, come to this place because we want to push you into our way of thinking made me think of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't let the world push you into its mold. And as I was thinking about this week, I I was thinking about the fact that the world has one aim, one central goal for each and every one of us to push us into its mold. That's what the world wants. The world wants to take you and it wants to help you think the way the world thinks. To buy into their philosophies and their ideologies and their worldview and to just begin to view everything from their perspective and through their lens so that you actually don't just think like the world but you begin to behave like the world and talk like the world and and your lifestyle looks like the world. That's what the world wants for you, to push you into its pattern. That's exactly what the king of Babylon is doing in Daniel chapter one. He's saying, let's take the people of God, the very best among them, the leaders, the brightest, and let's push them into our mold. You can see the king doing it, right? Eat, eat my food. Which sounds innocent, right? If you invite someone to your house, you usually don't tell them to bring your own food. Right, you tell them, come and eat and we'll provide the food, right? You, you, you provide the food for the guests at your house. That's what the king's doing. Sounds innocent, except the meat on the king's table has been sacrificed to the pagan gods. And you need to keep that in your mind because we're gonna talk about it a little bit later. What the king is saying is eat this meat that's been dedicated to our God because what we want to do is train you to recognize our God as God and forget about the God you had when you lived back there in that other place. And then the king says, read, read our literature Read our literature. Read, read the books that we read, the, the ideas, the philosophies that shape our mindset. You should read that and let it shape your mindset. And listen, I hope I don't have to tell you all the parallels to today's culture, but I'm telling you right now, the church has just bought in in so many ways. We just pick up books that are written from an ungodly perspective. We read them and then we actually spit that information back out and say, this is what we ought to do. I hear it all the time. From pastors and church leaders all across North America saying, look at this book, this is the greatest book, you should read this book. And then when you look at that book, you recognize it is written from a perspective that is completely godless. This is happening all across North America right now, which is why the church is in exile. Because we've missed God's call to us to wake up and to return and to repent. Eat our food, read our literature, and then we're gonna play with your identity. We're gonna change your name. Because every time someone calls to you, speaks to you, every time you introduce yourself, we want you to forget who God says you are. We want you to think about who we say you are as the culture. And we don't have time to go into it today, but every single name that was chosen for these men in this passage of scripture had very specific purposes and all of them pointed away from God and to the own secular philosophies of Babylon. These names were not just like, oh, I like this name. Let's give them that one. They were very intentional because they were playing with the identity of these men. this is happening in our culture right now, and I don't need to explain it to you. The enemy right now is saying, just forget about your God, worship our gods, read our literature, take on our mindset, and let's mess up your identity. Because if you don't know who you are, you can't live a solid life in this world. And that's happening right now where we are today. But I want to go back to Romans 12. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God doesn't say, I don't want you to be pushed into the pattern of this world, but there's nothing you can do about it. No, God says, I don't want you to be pushed into the pattern of the world, and there is a pathway for you to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. You can be transformed. I just want you to know today, I know that I've shared a lot of bad news in this message so far, but the good news is is that God can transform you and God can enable you to live a godly life in an ungodly culture. And you might ask yourself, how would we do that? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at the rest of uh, this passage. Because I think there are three things that Daniel really exhibits for us as a person living a godly life in an ungodly culture. And the first thing that I think we see in Daniel's life is a personal spirituality. Spirituality. Daniel is a man who is seeking after God. He's seeking after God. He wants more of God. He wants to know who God is. He wants to commune with God. He wants to communicate with God. He wants to be a man who knows who God is and so that God can shape and form him into the person that God wants him to be. And it doesn't matter what the culture's trying to do to Daniel. Daniel is centered in a personal spirituality, seeking after God. And you say, where do you see that in Daniel chapter one? And the answer is you don't. You gotta go to Daniel chapter chapter 6 to see this. But I promise you, it's already in Daniel's life in Daniel chapter 1, even though Daniel 1 doesn't reference it. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, this is the law forbidding people from praying to any other god except the pagan gods of Babylon. When Daniel heard that that law had been signed, Daniel goes home, kneels down, As usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You want to know how to live a godly life while the church is in exile? You want to know how to live a godly life in an ungodly culture that's completely turned its back on God? It begins in your prayer closet. You have to actually carve out space and time in your life to be with God. We don't tell you to read the Bible and spend time in prayer because it's something nice for church people to do. It is essential for you to do it. This is not something we want from you. This is what we want for you. You can't be faithful to God in this day and age unless you are connected to God on a daily basis. That's why I'm begging you to set a pattern in your life. It doesn't have to be three times a day, though. That's not a bad pattern. It's one the church has has lived up to for centuries of praying three times a day in the daily office. Morning, noon, and night to just seek God's face. You could do that. but, But at least, at least give him the first 15 minutes of your day roll out of bed, and spend the first 15 minutes just worshiping God, spending time communing and communicating with him in prayer, and open up the Bible and let him speak to you and shape your life. This is not what we want from you to say, check, I did my religious duty for the day. No, it's what we want for you that you would have what you need to go out into this world and begin to live for God in a culture that is not for God at all. It requires a personal spirituality. Secondly, I think we see in Daniel personal convictions Daniel had a personal spirituality, a pattern of seeking God in prayer and and pursuing God and becoming the person God wants him to be. So then Daniel can go out from there and have some lines that he's not going to cross and they're not arbitrary lines of just things he doesn't like or preferences he won't pursue no. These are lines that really flow from a personal spirituality. Time with God shapes the lines that we draw to say, I will go this far, but I will not go beyond that line because to do so would be to dishonor God. We need in our day and age to become a new kind of Christian for the 21st century, one that will have such a deep personal spirituality that it shapes the way we live our lives so that we look like Jesus in the way we deal with people, in the way we spend our leisure time, in what we do with our money, in how we interact with the world around us. All of that matters. And it begins with personal spirituality and then it goes outward. Daniel, in verse eight, says, he determined not to defile himself. This is why he says to the king, I don't, I don't want your food. I, I, I can't eat the meat that has been sacrificed to your pagan God. And again, we might read Daniel chapter one and think how rude. How rude that Daniel would, would, would turn Turn away the food that's being offered to him by his host. Except Daniel knows that that meat has been sacrificed to a God who is no God at all. And Daniel doesn't want to eat that meat. And by doing so, say that God is more than that God really is. Daniel says, that would be a line too far for me. I'm not going to do that. I'll go this far, but no farther. We need lines in our lives today. We have to have some things that we will say, I'll go that far, but I will not go any farther because to do so would be to dishonor God and bring shame to him. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to defile myself and I'm not going to dishonor my God. And whatever the cost is, you want to throw me in the lion's den? Go for it. Because I'm not going past that line no matter what. You want to throw me in the fiery furnace if I won't bow down to your God? Okay. Okay. Nobody wants to be thrown in a lion's den and nobody wants to go into a fiery furnace, but we do what we have to do to honor our God. Or we don't. And then we just meld into the ways of the world. Now, I don't want to in any way overinflate what's happening in North America because we're not being persecuted for our faith. I know some of you might think that because a family member made fun of you because you're a Christian, you might receive that as persecution, but, but that's not persecution. That's just someone making fun of you because you're a Christian. We're not being persecuted in North America. Those days, may come they may come but we know that our brothers and sisters all around the world are facing persecution there are people today who will gather for worship and if they are discovered they might be arrested they might be beaten they might even be killed we don't have that in north america and so we shouldn't overinflate what's happening here but but listen we got to have lines and we've got to understand that when those lines are being asked that for us to compromise them, we, we can't do that. We're going to have to stand strong. And the only way to be those kind of people is to have a deep personal spirituality that loves God more than anything else. So that you will stand for God when it doesn't seem the popular or right thing to do in that moment. You've got to do it anyway. Personal spirituality leading to personal convictions. And then one more thing I see in Daniel's life personal excellence. Maybe you didn't see this one coming. Maybe you were thinking we'd talk about courage or boldness or faith and all of those things are really important and they matter a lot. But I think what we see in Daniel and the three Hebrew associates that were with him is that they, they realized something as they went into exile, that it wasn't just their calling to stand strong against the attacks of Babylon, They weren't just there to hold their ground. They started to recognize that God actually brought them there so they could make a difference. They started to realize that God had positioned them in the king's palace and that if they didn't just kind of take a defensive posture of like, can we just kind of hunker in the bunker and hold on to our faith during this time? What if we got on the front foot And decided to take the battle to Babylon. And instead of being influenced by them, we would actually become the influencers. And we would begin to make a difference in this culture. And so Daniel and his three Hebrew brothers, they decided that they were going to hold on to their spirituality. They were going to maintain their convictions. And they were going to do whatever they could to be the very best. They wanted to elevate themselves. They they said, hey, if we're here representing God, we should bring our A game. Because God's not worthy of a half-hearted effort. God's worthy of everything we've got. You say, where do you see that in this passage? Look at verse 20. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Understand what's happening here. If you read the passage carefully, what you'll discover is that God had given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and to discern the message from them. You might be thinking, that's my gift too. I don't know. If so, see me afterwards. I want to talk to you, okay? Daniel's been given this gift from God, and he's honoring God in the way that he's conducting his life in this ungodly culture. And what does God do? God favors him. This is the formula for making a difference in an ungodly culture. Find what God has gifted you to do and live such a life of spirituality and integrity while you're using the gifts and abilities that God has given you, that God would say, that's a life I can let my favor rest on. And when God does that, he will push you forward. He will push you beyond where you could go in your own strength and ability, and he will elevate you to a place of influence. And I'm not talking about becoming a celebrity. You might not ever be known by a whole bunch of people, but God might elevate you in that little team that you work in at your workplace. And they might look at you and say, man, I don't know what's different about her. But man, she does a great job. And I every time she speaks into the things we're trying to figure out, she just knows what we should do next. And that just opens the door for influence. What's different about your life? How do you always know the right answer? And you get to say, you know what? I just try to live my life faithfully for God, and I try to seek him, and I just let God use me wherever I'm at, including here in this work environment. And God can just elevate you. And listen, this is my prayer for us as a church. I don't think it's a selfish prayer, but if it is, God knows my heart. I'm really not trying to be selfish, but I'm praying that people in our church, wherever you work and wherever you have places and pockets of influence in our culture, I'm just praying that God will make you 10 times more capable than anybody who's out in the world. I'm asking God to so pour out his favor on your life that you would be elevated in whatever situation you find yourself in, not for your benefit, I'm not asking for you to get a bunch of raises and a bunch of promotions and for everybody to know your name. I'm just simply asking God to so favor your life that you would have opportunities to influence people for good and for God in our community. Because more than anything else, I want to see Grant County transformed. I want to see the work and the will and the way of God become the way of our city and the way of our county. And we are a far, far cry from that today. But God has people. He's got people. And he's got you positioned all over the place in all kinds of different situations and circumstances. And I'm just asking you in those places, bring your A game. Some of you have decided to bring your your B plus or your B minus or your your C game because you think this is an ungodly place and I don't like my boss and and who cares anyway. And you're bringing less than your best in that environment. And I want to just tell you right now, you're thinking about it wrong. What if you walked into that place and said, I am going to bring the very best that I can to this team and to this organization. I'm going to bring everything that God has equipped me to bring because after all, I'm not working for that boss I don't like anyway. Right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't work for your boss. You work for the Lord. Right? So... So the last time I checked, he is worthy of everything you've got. Daniel and these Hebrew boys, they they come into this situation in the king's palace, and the king is trying to influence them and take them down a path they don't want to go. But they stand strong. They maintain their personal spirituality. They allow that to shape the way they live their lives. They become and maintain their integrity in an ungodly culture. And then they bring their very best to what they're being asked to do. And and the king starts to turn to them for advice. In fact, the king says, these guys are 10 times better than anybody that I got. All these people who serve our pagan God, they're not as good as these guys. And they begin to open themselves, the whole kingdom, to the influence of these men. And if you read Daniel's life, what you discover is that Daniel becomes influential, not just in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but for two more kings after that. Secular, pagan, not believing in God, not wanting to follow God, but Daniel maintains that life of integrity, shaped by personal spirituality, and he has influence. Now listen, as we bring this message to a close today, here's what I want you to know. The world has one aim. It wants to push you into its mold. But God offers another way. You can be transformed and you can live a godly life in an ungodly culture and God can use you right where you're at, right in those environments, right in those pockets of people. God can use you to influence people for good and for God and together as a collective body of people, we can make a difference in Marion and in Grant County for the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. That's what God has put us here to do. We don't just come and have a worship service and then go live the rest of our lives however we want. No, we come here so we can be retooled and re-equipped and refreshed so we can go out into our culture and make a difference for good and for God so that Marion and Grant County can become different and better. That's why we're here. That's what we're called to do. So, as we close out this morning, I want to just invite you to just take a moment of personal reflection. So, if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to just give you a moment to just think about what you've heard today. How many of you in this room, with nobody looking around, would just say, you know what, man, I have neglected my own personal spirituality? I've, I've, I've actually just kind of neglected my time with God, my time in his word, my, my time of prayer. I've just kind of walked away from that. And this morning, I just sensed the Lord calling me to renew my commitment to time with him. And if that's you, all I want you to do is raise your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you or call you out. Just want you to raise your hand because I wanna pray for you. all across this All across this congregation today. All right, you can put your hands down. This one maybe is a little more personal, but again, nobody looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I do want to pray specifically for you. Is there anybody here today who would say, you know what, I think I've compromised some of my personal convictions. I've stepped across lines I shouldn't step across, and I'm asking God to forgive me and help me so that in the future I won't do that. I see that hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Anybody else just raise it up high. Yeah, I see those hands. All right, you can put your hands down. How many of you would say this morning, again, just, just a way of saying, I want you to pray for me, pastor. How many of you would say, you know what? I've not been giving my best. I'm not bringing my A game to what God has asked me to do, but I want to do that. I see that hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah, yeah hands all across this room. You can put your hands down. God, I just want to pray for everybody who just raised their hands for all of these things, God. Lord, I pray today that you would renew our hearts. Let us love you with all that is within us. Let us return to you in our personal prayer closets. Let us spend time telling you every day how much we love you. God, let us spend time communing and communicating with you. God, let us open your word and would you speak to us and shape our lives from your scriptures. God, I pray for those in this room who said just a moment ago, I, I have stepped across lines that I shouldn't have stepped across. And right now, God, I just pray for your grace to be poured out in every life. Lord, you have said that if we confess our sins, if we tell you what we've done that's wrong, Lord, if we agree with you about what we've done and how wrong it is that in that moment you forgive us, you cleanse us, you make us new. God, do that right now. And with that forgiveness, would you send a fresh empowerment of your spirit to help us Abide by the lines that your word is setting in our lives so that we can be people of integrity. And God, I pray for every single one of us that we would bring our A game to what you've asked us to do. God, even if it feels like it's secular and it's not for God's purposes, Lord, I pray that we would change our mindset and that we would recognize that when we go to work or when we we take our place on that committee or we are a part of that community organization, that we are there as representatives of the Lord, as Colossians 3 says, and that we would do everything Whatever we do, whatever we say, we would do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would give us a new spirit of excellence and that God, that excellence would begin to open the door for us to influence people for good and for God. Let us be carriers of your wisdom and let us be carriers of your gospel into those dark, dark places in our world. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around just for one more moment. Some of you might be here this morning. You might be thinking to yourself, I can't live a godly life in an ungodly culture because I don't even have a relationship with God. But this morning I've sensed that God is knocking on the door of my heart and he wants me to begin a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning and you've just said, you know what, I wanna, I wanna know this God that Daniel knew. I wanna draw close to him and I wanna walk with him. If that's you today, all I want you to do is say, I wanna begin a relationship with God today through the person of Jesus. And all you have to do is raise your hand. I wanna pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? God, I pray for these four individuals who just raised their hands to say, I want to begin a relationship with God. And Lord, even in just acknowledging that with the raising of their hand, Lord, that they're turning to you. And God, in this moment, I just know, I know your heart. I know who you are. When we turn to you, you just scoop us up in your arms and you welcome us into your family. And so I pray today for these four individuals that they would recognize and sense in this very moment that you have given them the right to be called a child of God. Their sins are forgiven and a new life has started in this very moment. And as miraculous as that seems, God, we know it is a miracle that you have just worked in their hearts and in their lives. And so I pray that you would surround them, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, and that you would walk with them from this moment forward. God, We sense your presence here today and we just want to tell you as we close this service that we love you. And we hear your voice calling us to yourself. God, we know that there's so much that's happening in our culture that we can't control and we can't fix and we can't solve. But we know you and we hear your voice And God, we are going to lean into you in these days. We are going to run hard after you. We are going to hear your voice and respond to your call so that you can do whatever you want to do in and through us. God, we are your people. And you are our God. And we love you today. So Lord, would you walk with us from this place, from this moment. Help us to live godly lives in an ungodly culture and may our lives bring you glory and honor and may your purposes be accomplished. We pray these things today in Jesus' name, amen. Now, God's been doing some work in this room over the last few minutes, so can we just take 30 seconds and just give God some praise? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I want to invite you to stand with me as we go from this place this morning. If you were one of the ones that raised your hand this morning and you'd be willing to take a next step, I'd love to just invite you to just meet me right down front right after the service. I've got just a gift that I'd love to just share with you and just to make a personal connection. So if you'd like to do that, I'll be right down front waiting. Uh, for For the rest of you as you leave from this place this morning, may you go. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may you sense the love of the Father for you and the power of the Holy Spirit guiding you step by step. And may you live a godly life in an ungodly culture. You are sent out. Have a wonderful week.